Our scripture does come from Ephesians. Let's read together. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works in all things, according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of the truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love towards all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, 
like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he has loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, that he might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ 
and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery, hidden for ages in God, who created all things, so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. The word of the Lord. Father, we come to you this morning looking for wisdom, looking to your word for wisdom for our lives. We ask that we would be teachable, that we would be moldable, that we would receive your grace and your word and make a change and let that impact our lives. Be with Andrew, Father. Let your spirit breathe through him into us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. There's a uh, certain German monk. His name is Martin Luther. He said, uh, to progress, you must begin again. Uh, he was talking about sanctification and life and uh, understanding the deep truths of God as we seek to go forward and making progress uh, in our sanctification in life, but this idea, I think, is where we are this morning. Welcome to Ephesians 4 to 6, uh, a feast to equip. Last fall, we did Ephesians 1 to 3, this section that we just read together. Thank you for all who participated in reading it. Uh, Ephesians 1 to 3, we called it a feast to enjoy. Because as you were just reminded, Ephesians 1 to 3 is just filled, stock filled with all of these amazing, transcendent, glorious truths of what God has done in his world, in us, in the church, what God has done to create this monument 
to himself, uh, and it is where we start. To make progress, we, we have to begin again. We have to remind ourselves of everything that goes before the therefore. Some of you notice that. As David closed us off. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Some of you had the uh, hermeneutics class, the Bible study class. Whenever you see a therefore, ask what it is there for. Uh, because it is pointing to the things that go behind. This is so much the hinge of what Paul is saying here. Uh, and Paul is following a pattern that he follows in some of his other epistles, Colossians, which is a companion prison letter that Paul is writing, has a very similar thing, Colossians 1 and 2. We have the indicatives, Colossians 3 and 4. We have the imperatives, what is true, what is to do. We see that here, divided out very nicely, Ephesians 1 to 3, what is true, uh, Ephesians 4 to 6, what we are to do. We see it in Romans, Romans chapters 1 to 11, what is true, all of this great doctrine. And then beginning in 12, we have, therefore, in light of all of these mercies, you know, do not be conformed to this, this world, but be transformed by all of this truth that has come before us. So there's always this vision, this view that the gospel has, that the, the truths, what God has done in Christ for us, then motivate what comes after it. Uh, Kent Hughes, in a brilliant alliterative display, a uh, longtime pastor of Wheaton College Church, says, Paul's letters follow and the gospel follows this pattern from doctrine to duty or creed to conduct, from the Christian's wealth to his walk, from exposition to exhortation, from indicative to imperative, from high society to high life. Uh, we're making that move this fall. We, we've done all of these things. And I encourage you, just keep reading this over and over again, uh, soaking in all of these truths. Go back and maybe remind yourself of them. You can listen to past sermons. You can read commentaries, any of these things, just to, to soak into this because... And, and here's the really important thing. If we, if we don't do this, and if we, we simply go on to Ephesians 4, we, we have the gravest danger of falling into legalism or performanceism or any of the other isms that, that we don't follow, uh, that we don't want to fall into. If we... If we miss the order of the gospel, we miss the gospel. Uh, here's how one person puts it. The Bible makes it clear uh, that our, our premier enemy is what we often call legalism. It shows up when behavioral obligations are divorced from gospel declarations when the imperatives are disconnected 
from the gospel indicatives. Legalism happens when what we need to do, not what Jesus has already done, becomes our primary uh, preoccupation. So, what we need to do is important, and, and, and we're going to be talking about it for the next several weeks. Uh, Paul writes both. He writes indicatives and he writes imperatives, but he writes them in an order for a purpose, uh, that the gospel precedes this, this law, this commandment, these imperatives. And if we mix that up, then, then we get in big trouble. Paul does talk about a lot of different things, and you're going to see that. There, there are two imperatives uh, in Ephesians 1 to 3. They both are the word remember. Uh, so even the imperatives are, are very doctrinally based in 1-3. Remember what God has done. Uh, that is what Paul says. But now there's going to be all kinds of imperatives. You know, we are to walk worthy. We're going to talk about that a little bit today or at least touch on that. Then he fleshes that out with this life that is truthful, that is not angry, that uh, is sexually pure in the midst of a sex-crazed culture that is in Rome, that uh, pays attention to relationships, to the genders uh, that God has given to us, uh, to the order that he has placed in the home, that he has placed in the church, in the workplace, uh, between parents and children, all of these different things. Paul is going to be very descriptive and prescriptive in terms of what our life needs to look like. But today what we're reminding ourselves is that it all comes in the context of what God has done. It all comes in the context of what God has established and what God has accomplished in and through the person of Jesus. So that's what we're going to be doing this morning is reminding ourselves of that, grounding ourselves, sort of fixing the... If you, if you like mountain climbing, we're, we're fixing the foundation so that we can, you know, scale the heights or rappel down or whatever image you want to use, but we've got to get it fixed first, otherwise we uh, have the potential of being in real trouble. So here's how we're going to walk through it this morning. Uh, when in Rome, remember your calling because we are urged to walk worthy. When in Rome, I, Paul... Uh, a prisoner, or I therefore a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk worthy. Paul is writing these letters, and incidentally, these, these letters uh, aren't so much letters as they are sermons. Uh, if you study all of Paul's writings, uh, you see that they follow a rhetorical form. They were meant to be oral presentations, so the idea that we're reading them, we're just following exactly the intent that they were given. Uh, they, you know, if this letter came to Ephesus, and this letter was most likely a, a circular letter that was going to various places, we have some manuscripts where it doesn't contain the words, the letter to the Ephesians. 
probably because it was uh, left blank because it was a letter for all of the church in that Asia Minor world. Uh, and it was to the Ephesians. Uh, Paul knew the Ephesians very well, but it's also probably one of the reasons why Paul doesn't make a lot of really personal references in this letter like he does in other letters. So Paul is in prison, most likely in Rome. The other option is, is Caesarea, uh, maritime on the ocean there. But eight out of ten, it was, you know, Paul was writing this from Rome. So he's towards the end of his life. Uh, and he is writing with a real understanding of what the Roman Empire is all about. He's writing with a real understanding of what it means to hold on to the gospel in the midst of this, uh, in the midst of this regime, to hold on to the gospel, uh, to continue to live as the church in exile. Paul, Paul has a really clear understanding of that. When we were in Caesarea this, this past summer, uh, one of the things that we got to see that was pretty new, actually, was the place where Paul was kept prison. Like, they were like, yeah, this is an 8 or 9 out of 10. Like, this was actually the place where Paul was kept prison. prisoner. And what struck me about that is it was from, from here to the back of the sanctuary, away from the Hippodrome. And in the Hippodrome was where all of the games took place, where the martyrs were, where uh, you could see the, the, the cages where they kept the animals that would come out. And, and you knew as Paul was sitting in prison, now I, I don't think Paul wrote Ephesians from Caesarea, but it, it helped set the context. As, as Paul was sitting in prison, he was listening to Christians die. He, he was listening to his brothers and sisters. And, and when he was in Rome, he, he's very aware of all of the empire. Now, we think about Rome, and we think about a, a lot of great things. I mean, the Pax Romana, you know, the peace of Rome. We think about their engineering, the architecture, you know, all of the things. And it was absolutely incredible. Uh, all of the things that Rome and Roman leaders were to do. But, and, and here's what we can never forget, it, it was a worldview that is so different from the gospel. It was a worldview of domination. It was a worldview where slaves were absolutely worthless. There is no concept of the image of God in somebody. And you didn't even have to be a slave. You just had to be a woman or a child. You know, you had absolutely no value. And so as Paul is writing these things, he's writing to a church that says, listen, there is a, a whole different story than what Rome is telling you. There is a, a whole different way of viewing who you are and what that means in Christ. There's a whole different way of, of viewing one another, and it's going to affect how you live with one another as you live out this life in exile. And, and that's what Paul is eager to continue to push forward into the lives of the Jewish Christians. But what I, wanna under, what I want us to understand 
you know, today and as we go forward, is that Rome has never really left us. You know, the, the Greco-Roman worldview, this idea uh, of domination, of success, of victory, all of these things, we, we still live that way. You know, we celebrate our champions. We, we celebrate the strong. Those are the people that have places of power and influence and authority. You know, whether it's through physical conquest or through, uh, you know, musical, artistic uh, beauty that, that Rome and, and Greece brought into it, or whether it's through the mind or whether it's through the wealth, this is what we celebrate. We think so much in the same way as the Greco-Roman world. You know, this idea of, of body and spirit and the separation of that. You can see it all throughout our world right now. The ways that we think about gender and self. This all goes back to the Greeks and the Romans. Uh, you know, some people have said that, that all of Western history is a footnote to Plato. So when we remember that, that Paul is in Rome and he's writing a letter, like he knows that he could be killed any minute. He knows that he could die. And when he's writing this letter and he's saying to the church, this is how you live in exile, he, he's writing a letter that is so much for us uh, in, in very real ways. Yes, I know 2,000 years have passed since Paul has written this. But he could have been writing it today. I mean, we are still facing these same things. So it's super interesting, you know, as we get into chapter 4, and Paul's talking about all of these things, about sexuality, about gender, about truthfulness, about anger, you know. And we're like, huh, that sounds pretty relevant. Because it is. Uh, Paul, Paul is in Rome, and we are in Rome. But Paul says there's something greater than Rome. There's something that has subverted even the power of the greatest empire that ever was, at least until that time. You know, there's something greater that has subverted it, and that is the gospel. So when you are in Rome, Paul says, remember who you are. Remember your calling. And, and, and he, this is what he's been at great lengths to uh, expound for us, what he's been at great lengths to tease out. Who are we in Christ? Three things maybe we can just uh, sort of head it on. I, I hope you go back and read through it. You know, we've given you this all printed out, underline things, circle things, star things, use different color pens and, you know, whatever you want to do, but, but soak it in. You know, who are you in Christ? First of all, you have a new identity. Uh, in, in different ways, Paul says, like, this is who you were, this is who you now are. You know, from the before the foundations of the world, Paul says, you know, God has set his affection on you in love. He predestined you to be adopted as, as sons and daughters, yes, but he says even as sons, as the ones who in that day and age were the ones to gain all of the inheritance, and you have the inheritance, whether you are male or female, you are adopted as a son. 
because God has set his affection on you and he has blessed you with every spiritual blessing in the realm of the heavens. You know, he has blessed you before the angels. He has completely transformed who you are. He has saved you. This is all part of the new identity. You know, before you were, you were caught in your transgressions and your sins, the way that you used to walk, but now He saved you. He came and interposed His blood for you. He came that He might lavish His love on you by giving you redemption, the forgiveness of sins through his blood. You've been adopted. You have been forgiven. You've been redeemed. And you have been sanctified. He has sealed this whole deal with his Holy Spirit. He, he has given us uh, the, the guarantee of our salvation. I trust you recognize I'm, I'm using all... Ephesians language here the Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our salvation you know that passage that Judy read how wide and how long uh, the Spirit is the one that comes and, and teaches us gives us all wisdom and insight you know we are to open wide and to rest in what we have been given who we are because this is the, the identity that we have. 28 times throughout this passage, you know, Paul says that we are in Christ. We are united to Christ. We once were separated. We were alienated from Christ. But now we've been brought near. We are in Christ. And, and this is what he says. This is your identity. This is who you are. This you once were something else, but now in Christ Jesus, you have been made sons and daughters, forgiven, and you have been sanctified, given wisdom, insight, strength, all of that. The second thing that Paul says just about our calling, and that's really what we're talking about here. He says, walk worthy of the calling to which you have been called. What is the calling? We can oftentimes focus on the things that we are to do, but again, we can't separate the imperatives from the indicatives. And the indicatives comes first. So if we really want to understand our calling, this is where we have to start. He says you have a new identity, but you also have a new unity. And, and next week, we're going to be looking at this as Paul picks up this theme, you know, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, you know, one God and Father overall to which you have been called. There's this unity, but, but he's already been developing this phrase because it's the mystery of the gospel that the Gentiles are, are now a part of it. That those, it's no longer just the Jewish nation that, that the Old Testament sort of starts with and works out and, and God says, I'm going to make you my treasured possession out of all the nations. But now as we come to the, the full flower of the whole thing in the New Testament, we see that it is for everybody, Jew, Gentile. 
slave, free, man, woman. There, there's no distinction in this ethnographically gender, uh, by your, uh, your social class, any of it. There's no distinction. You've been brought near. The gospel, Christ has broken down the dividing wall of hostility. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11. He's broken down that dividing wall of hostility. There is a new unity in terms of our identity. We belong to the Lord uh, no matter what our background is. And, and of course, one of the things that, that Paul says is that you've got to live out of this. And so we don't see it so much in Ephesians, but you go back and you look at the end of Romans and Paul starts listing off all of these different names and we realize that there really is a transformative unity. You read those names and you realize that they're Roman and they're Greek and they're Jewish. You see men and you're women. You see names that are, are clearly more aristocratic while other names are just much more common, uh, possibly slaves. There's an incredible unity that's going on in the church. And this is what God is doing. He's building this together. A new identity, a new unity for a, a new purpose, a renewed purpose, and that is what? To bring glory to God. You know, to the praise of His glorious grace, to the praise of His glory, to the praise of His glory, that the church, I think 3 verse 20, might show forth the, the glory of God. I mean, that, that's the whole thing that God has been doing. He has been building us together in order that we might be to the praise of His glory. He's been making us His own. He's been lavishing this grace on us. He's been pouring out blessing after blessing after blessing uh, so that we can be to the praise of His glory, so that we would stand to the praise of His glory. This is what Paul is talking about. As we make this turn, and, and we're going to start talking about more specific ways in which we do that. And interestingly enough, or incidentally, I mean, it's just very common, ordinary ways. You know, Paul's not talking about any, you know, Herculean efforts. He's not talking about... Uh, uh, you know, going and doing great feats of strength or great feats of holiness. He's talking about the way you live in the marketplace, the way you live at home. He's talking about the, the words that we say to one another. He, he's talking about very ordinary things. But these are the things that uh, this is what it means to walk in a manner worthy of which you have been called. And this is the last thing that I want to highlight for you this morning. So we're in the face of Rome. We have this calling that God has done. Uh, God is the one who has established all of these things. Uh, and now we are urged to walk worthy. Uh, just a couple of, of comments here. You know, Paul uses the word walk. Some of you... Um, may have the NIV. The NIV translates this live, um, to, to live a life worthy. It's an okay translation, but it's a translation. The word is walk, uh, peripateo, 
And, uh, and I think it's a particularly rich word. It's going to come up a number of other times. Uh, it's already come up a little bit in Ephesians. We talked about when we walked as the Gentiles walked. Now it's going to come up again. He's going to talk to you to walk in truth and walk in the light, these types of things. Walk just goes all the way back. Remember when God called Abraham? Uh, Genesis, uh, you know, around Genesis 12, and then it gets worked out in 15 and 17. In 17, 1, you know, God calls Abraham and he says, I want you to walk before me and be gracious, or, and be holy and be blameless. Why, does, why is walk so interesting? Well, walking is not running. You know, we, we sometimes want to run forward. Uh, we sometimes want to be further along than we are. But God says it, it's okay to walk. Uh, walking is, is steady. It's continuing forward. It's getting, and, and, and that's what God says. I, I want you just to continue moving forward in a steady pace. I, I know you want to, to make progress at a, at a greater rate, but it's okay to walk. Walk before me. Uh, be blameless. This is, incidentally, you know, this is our, our calling. Our calling was to the sonship of God in order that we might be holy and blameless. Going back to chapter 1, I think around verse 4 there. So, so God calls us to walk. And he's always had this in mind, like the indicatives have always had the imperatives in mind. Like if you look back in, in chapter 1, you see that we were chosen to be holy, 1 verse 4. Uh, in 3 verse 14, every, every concluding statement is about the praise of his glory, the praise of his glorious grace. Chapter 2 verse 10, uh, we're reminded that we have been saved by grace in order that we might do the works that God has prepared in advance for us to do. So, so even there where it's, it's stated in an indicative sort of way, it's pointing to the fact that, that God does have work for us to do. God has stuff for us to continue in. Chapter 3 verse 20 uh, where, where, God, where Paul says, I, I'm striving with the strength that God has given us. Uh, like we, we, have, we have things to strive for. Now, he's going to give you the strength for it, but we need to keep striving. We need to go after. And so Paul is saying, walk worthy. Walk in a manner that befits, that, that speaks to this calling that you have. And again, we are going to look at this in detail over the next several weeks. The, the last thing that I just want to highlight here is, is that Paul uses the term urge. Now, why is that significant? What, what strikes you about, I urge you, therefore? Um, some translations like the King James has, I beseech you. Uh, not a word we use a lot, but it's a good word, uh, beseeching. Maybe you'll do some beseeching this afternoon. Uh, the word in Greek is, is parakaleo, uh, to, to call alongside. Para 
you know, is, is alongside or next to, by, uh, kaleo, the, the verb to call. Uh, I, I think that that is significant for a couple of different reasons. You know, one is, is this. You know, Paul could have commanded. You know, you think about some of the words like he didn't use. You know, Paul could have commanded. He could have said, now it is up to you. But he doesn't say that. He, he, he wants to motivate the Ephesians by coming alongside of them and urging them. He's like, come on, we can do this together. You know, we can fix our eyes on Jesus, who's the author and finisher of our faith. We can fix our eyes on him, and we can walk together uh, as we carry out this life. Something that's really important in terms of Ephesians. You know, if you look at all of the things that you know, Paul talks about being together with. It's, it's really an astonishing list. And so one of the things that I really want to us to encourage us, I want to encourage us to consider as we walk through this is the communal nature of this. This isn't coming, these, these uh, imperatives, these exhortations aren't coming simply to you. Uh, in some sort of way that is apart from everybody else, but you are being invited in. We are being invited together uh, to walk uh, this walk and to continue following Christ uh, together as we, we seek after him. The other thing, though, that I think is really important is that urge is a gospel word. And what I mean by that, uh, urge reminds us to be who we are. See, if we get the order wrong, it's about becoming. It's It's about do these things in order that you might be loved. Do these things in order that you might be worthy. But that's not what Paul is saying. Paul is saying, you are worthy. You you are loved, therefore walk in these things. And and so Paul's urging is is very much coming alongside people and he's saying, be who you are. You know, you, you are a jet plane. You were made to fly. You were made to to penetrate the heavens. Don't just taxi on the runway. You know, don't, don't try to take this thing over land. Be who you are. That's what Paul is saying, and, and urging speaks to this. What, one writer puts it this way. He says, when we, when we only focus on the imperatives in terms of Christian life, when we only focus on, on the law, uh, we're not receiving all that the gospel intends. The law guides but it does not give. The law, you know, all of these imperatives, have they, they have the power to reveal sin and shortcoming, but they don't have the power to remove, to forgive. It, it simply, by itself, cannot engender what it commands. Uh, these imperatives show us what godliness is, 
But the imperatives cannot make us godly like the gospel can. The law shows us what a sanctified life looks like, but it does not have the sanctifying power of the gospel. So, apart from the gospel, the imperatives will crush. They show us what to do, but it's the gospel that announces what God has done. These imperatives can direct us, but it's only the gospel that can drive us. And that's why urging is such a gospel word. You know, Paul is, is urging us because he says, you already have it. If you are in Christ, you have everything that you need for a life of godliness. Do you believe that? I know it's hard sometimes, you know, and this is why we get back to what Luther was saying. He says, if you're going to make progress, you have to begin again. You have to begin again. You have to tell yourself what God is telling you. You are adopted. You are loved. You are chosen. You are forgiven. You are a new unity in Christ. You were once far away, but now you are near. You have every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realm. All of these things. If, if you want to go forward and really be to the praise of His glorious grace, you make progress by going backwards and reminding ourselves of what God has done and, and drawing from it the strength that He gives us. I urge you, therefore, to walk in in a manner worthy of the calling which you have received. Now, some of you say, but I don't know if I've received that calling. I, I don't know if this calling is for me. Part of it is, uh, you know, how do we know? Some of it is just, when we read through this, you know, does, does your heart sing? You guys know I know very little about music. I, I enjoy it, uh, but I don't really understand it. There are these things called tuning forks, though. Uh, and, and my understanding is that if you have a tuning fork, you know, you hit a note, it, it, there's some resonance that happens there. Is there any resonance in your heart with the gospel? You know, when, when you hear these things, is the tuning fork of your heart vibrating? With like, yes, I was once lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. Is there a desire for holiness? Like if you, if you, if you see that desire in your heart, then, then that's something that God has done. You don't desire this apart from the Spirit. We simply don't long for these things. We're happy to work our own salvation projects, which incidentally, our salvation projects can be very religious. You know, we can try to save ourselves through the law. We can try to save ourselves through hedonism. We, but we're trying to save ourselves as opposed to what God has done through Christ and through the gospel. But if you have that desire... And, and so my encouragement to you is don't despair. You know, keep looking back, soaking in the truths of the gospel as they are here. And, and if you don't see that, 
ask the Lord, please come. Please come and make my heart sensitive to these things. We need to stop now, but we're just getting started. We're just getting started as we go through chapters 4 to 6. Uh, I encourage you to read the rest of it, you know, according this week and, and allow it. But don't forget, we only make progress when we go back to the beginning. Father, as we uh, close our time here this morning, we pray that you would not be done with us, uh, but that you would continue to work these great gospel truths in our hearts and lives. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.